0: Thank you. voyant and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology, as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey, I'm excited to be back with an interview. This was a profound and far-ranging conversation with Daje Aloe about storytelling. We recorded this around her exact Saturn return in Pisces. We just had that recent ingress, and through her embodiment, this episode feels like not only an electric conversation but a transmission on the transit and what we could open to with Saturn and the imaginative and visionary sign of Pisces where we dream from necessity, the hard work of dreaming and the way we can truly shape and structure our lives with dreams. Daje Alo is a Memphis-born Appalachian-cured storyteller, songkeeper and essence liberation coach. Currently, her work is to support seekers, lovers, crafters, and kin in finding and singing the deep song of their lives. Find her work at thestorydoula.co and on Instagram at thestorydoula. So, lately, I've been having super vivid dreams. Dreaming, um, I dream the most vivid in the morning right before I wake up. And every day, I'm having these detailed dreams with lots of symbolism and running into people I know. Um, And I anticipated the vivid dream part as part of the Mars and Gemini square Neptune in Pisces transit. This has an overarching theme for the Mars retrograde, which began with Mars and Neptune in orb of being square. And Mars has been squaring Neptune again on the way out of the sign. So when Mars and Neptune come together, one of the significations for that is more vivid dreams. Um, Mars brings force and emphasis to Neptune, um, which relates to our dreams, including the ones that we have when we're sleeping. I see this over and over again when they're an aspect by transit um, that my dreams are more vivid and other people are reporting that too. And so as I was saying that some of my dreams lately involved friends that I'm running into people on the dream plane, and I've been reaching out to these friends, asking them if they want to hear about the dream, and then when talking about the dream symbolism, you know, and these friends of mine are deep into magic, astrology, etc., and they hear the symbolism, it means something to them beyond what I could have known or deciphered. tell me this it opens up something for me in turn and we deepen the meaning and the oracle of the dream further in conversation you know a while ago I heard something I'm not sure if this was like a biographical truth or not I'm sure it is but something about how Jung had like a personal rule that whenever he dreamt of people he would tell them Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not but I remember hearing it and thinking like maybe I should do that too. I love it too when people tell me about dreams that I'm in and um, it's interesting really when people have dreams and they report it to me and they pick up on something, they pick up on a message for me. And what I love about this is that like the dream realm has so many different iterations in terms of how humans have related to it. Um, You know, I think of like cultures where, dreaming is like done in community that dreams are considered oracles and they're shared in circle in the morning um or where it's taken as a given that dreams are magical and that there's like psychic or oracular messages coming through that space and then in a more like psychological western context dreams became like a private psychological experience and I think that that contributed to some level of disenchantment. Like we started to see dreams as like our own little rabbit holes. Um, Not everyone, of course, but this sense of like, you know, it's just a dream or it doesn't mean anything. But then when you have these really obvious experiences with dreams where like you have a prophetic dream and you see the future before it happens or, you know, I've had times in my life where I dream of whole places only to visit them in reality later on and recognize that I'd been there before in my sleep. And so these recent experiences of dreaming with my friends and having these like amazing conversations come from it isn't exactly new in my life. Um, I love magic and I love that like layer of like this kind of animist or enchanted alive universe right but lately because of these dream experiences the awe is touching me a layer deeper like I'm reminded that the dream was real that it was a shared experience that it was a message and I think that this recent experience shares sensibility with the themes and overall vibe of this episode Doge speaks of different parts of reality as realms right they're places And when I have that direct experience that I visited a dream realm or that it visited me and I was given messages that were transmitted in the dream first and then confirmed with the other, the friend, it hits again as a reality. And it has me thinking about this current Saturn and Pisces experience of like swimming through an enchanting reality that's full of mystery too, right? Moments of Of realization and clarity, but also moments of confusion or not knowing what's gonna happen next. I'm sensing into how I'm always given experiences to become wiser and more discerning, to be open to things I didn't even imagine or anticipate, right? Or maybe I'm even imagining an openness to something beyond what I already know as a way to make space for that. That I'm given experiences to clarify how I wanna participate and create. I'm just like really new into experiencing the texture of Saturn and Pisces as a transit because it's my first time experiencing Saturn and Pisces uh, with self-consciousness or self-awareness. I began to track Saturn's transits probably back when Saturn was in Libra. Um, So yeah, it's the first time in Pisces and to feel like the texture of reality in this more dreamy way, it's like this new iteration that I'm still awakening to. This conversation with Daje left me with a lot of inspiration, including among many things a shift in consciousness around how I might feel when I walk past flower beds or wildflower fields. You'll catch it, so I'll just leave it for the conversation. I have a knowing that it's a doorway to a realm, this kind of deepening interest in talking to plants and I'm excited for what I may discover and may this conversation illuminate doorways for you too like it did for me and thank you for sharing space with us in the higher airwaves I'll leave you to this conversation now everyone I'm here with Dajay the story doula welcome to magic of the spears thank you so much Sabrina for having me on the podcast feels good yeah so um congratulations on Saturn return I understand you're like pretty (laughs) much exact exact in your yeah to the degree
1: oh yeah yeah I went completely exact this past weekend so I guess the hard part's over um Probably not, but that's what I want to believe. So
0: well, I've been thinking about how, like Saturn and Pisces does reality um mm-hmm. and that it's a Jupiter rolled sign in traditional astrology and that Jupiter relates to storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I see you working your weaving and storytelling magic and how, you know, like Saturn as a reality principle, but then Jupiter being visionary. It's like there's this way of actually stretching and envisioning reality based on the type of narratives that we're creating. And I see that you hold that medicine um, and share that with others. So I'm curious like how you are feeling about this moment of Saturn return and just like how it correlates to um, the medicine that you've been cultivating around story.
1: I love this question. And I would say that... um, Stories, this is going to sound, I'm I'm like risking sounding really cheesy here, but like know that I'm so serious in like the deepest way possible that stories have kept me alive. Mm. And the way that I tell stories have literally kept me alive from since being a little girl to like being a teenager and in college and getting married and getting divorced and moving through so many different stages of life. The way that i tell the story not avoiding the truth not um bypassing the depth and the pain of the experience but the way that i hold it the way that i weave it is what keeps me and has kept me alive and so i love the sentiment here because jupiter is on my ascendant in libra and i'm a libra rising as well and so having this piscean placement in saturn my only pisces placement and hearing, you know, and connecting the dots on the weaving and the storytelling and how all of these pieces kind of move together for me. It makes sense. I, since being a little girl, have always run back to my books, to myth, to fairy tales uh, and mythological logic for how can reality move how can reality reconfigure itself um what is possible and so yeah i to answer your question that that's that is how i orient into the in the world it's what keeps me alive it's what keeps me here rooted grounded um not grounded sometimes but for a good reason i guess i don't know i'm just here with it <laughs>
0: It's beautiful. And I love that you have Jupiter on the ascendant too, which like adds another story, like another, like piece that reaffirms the, the Saturn and Pisces. And when it comes to like creating reality from vision and working with dreams, how do you navigate like that process of say faith and like working toward a reality where we don't have proof of it yet, or it's not guaranteed? Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of what Saturn and Pisces really works with is like making the dream real and working with the difference between illusion and fantasy versus like how we actually can shape a reality and like steer Mm -hmm. the ship of the reality, so to say, with our vision. Well,
1: I would say that it's really serious work. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't seem so serious to like work with the dream world, but it really is. It's it takes practice and skill. And I come from a long lineage of dreamers, entrepreneurs, um, people who've had to survive in order, like, like dream in order to survive, and then dream in order to thrive, because there was You know, for my grandfather, especially who comes to me now, there was no blueprint for him on what liberation could look like for him as a dark skinned black man who grew up in Mississippi and had to hop a truck and escape his home um, and home dynamics and go north to go to college so no one really knew that he left right and What's so interesting is like I have a very similar story where I had to escape my home where there was a lot of drama and abuse and religious dynamics. Um, I grew up in a, a cult type like environment and I had to like escape in a car that my mom and I secretly rented to come to college across the other side of the state of Tennessee. And so a huge part of my, like, capacity to even be here has been to have faith and have, like, a dreaming prayer life that is able to, like, witness the impossible in my imagination and to accept that sometimes no amount of strategy, no amount of logic, no amount of putting the pieces together in a linear fashion is going to make something happen for me. I do actually practically (laughs) have to dream it into existence. I have to taste it. I have to um, engage with it. I have to Lean into it in a way that most people feel uncomfortable with. Um, Most people reserve for fiction and fantasy. But in order to survive, in order for my ancestors to survive and to build new systems, new templates, new lives for themselves that didn't exist, they had to be dreamers. They had to be visionaries. So I bring that legacy with me in everything I do. Everything feels impossible most of the time. But I know from experience and practice from being a little girl that the impossible is not that far away.
0: I get chills so often when you speak. Like I just have this like tingle in the back of my crown that's just staying there. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking these really potent questions. So good.
0: And so growing up, you were in this entirely different cosmological reality, um, and you also like facilitated story work uh,
1: yeah.
0: from a young age in that context, and then also like removed yourself from that context or that cosmology and found your own way. And so, I'm curious how story facilitated that process of changing like what you know and believe. Um, yeah. manifesting that as your external reality and where you are today? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's something about when um, you're born into a system of thought of belief and you don't really have a choice if you're going to have somewhat of a nourishing childhood but to believe in that cosmology. Like everything about your life is dependent upon your belief in what you're being asked to believe. Um, And so as a young child, and I think it really started to click for me right around nine or 10 years old, um, where I started to consciously engage with um, at the time, like it was Christianity. It was like a hyper-fundamental version of Christianity where we um, ve- were very separatist. And um, I had to wear like a certain kind of clothing and we were only allowed to read certain books. And when my mom married my stepfather who held this belief system and asked us to convert into a deeper form of separatist fundamental Christianity uh, asked her to sort of separate from some of our family Um, we weren't allowed to read certain books or watch certain channels and we weren't even allowed to watch Teletubbies like it was it was a a lockdown mode and like my brother and I at nine and ten years old were taken out of school and we were homeschooled and there was a point in that time period where my mom had to go back to work because my stepfather asked her to and my brother and I were left at home as children to sort of educate ourselves and that was the expectation was to read the bible to do our our homeschool work and to do the chores around the house and um I remember being nine and really desiring friendship and connection and rooting and home and feeling really disoriented by having to call having to call this new person my dad when I felt pretty like unsure of him um and feeling it was like it's it's kind of a similar experience of like feeling like knowing that I would get punished if I didn't adopt I would like get and I'm gonna save people the details because I don't think we need to go into the details of what that looked like. But I knew that I would get punished if I didn't call him dad. I knew that I would get punished if I didn't read the Bible in a certain way. I knew that I would get punished if I didn't show up to certain things. And I got punished anyway, because it was hard to maintain um, as a little girl, like, holding this whole new system and way of being in my body when I used to like run outside and play in my shorts in the summertime and now I'm hearing from our pastor um, that's saving that detail redacted hold on I'm trying to figure out I'm just like in storytelling mode and I'm like not everybody needs to is ready to hear all the details but my, my our pastor at the time would like he had his own version of the story of like little girls who were playing outside in shorts. And, you know, of course, why wouldn't they get hurt? Right. Why wouldn't they get abducted? Right. Those kinds of things. So hearing that over and over and over and over and over again, I stumbled upon um, Anne of green Gables (laughs) and she became my hero. She became my lifeline as a 10-year-old. I remember watching the movie, the one with Megan Follows for the first time. And I watched the series on PBS because I was allowed to watch her because she had the long skirts and the dresses and she lived in the 1800s. And like, what was the harm, right? But little did my parents know, little did this like religious order that we were a part of know that this character was implanting in me the seed of imagination and calling me into my imagination it almost felt like initiated into the world of story by Anna of Green Gables and her orphanhood and her so exo- such an acute experience of alonela- aloneness that she she couldn't she couldn't really exist in reality in a real way without disassociating into what did she want her life to be like instead. And everything that she every way that she engaged with her reality was through that lens of like, "This is how, this is how I actually want my life to feel like, like, I want to be named Cordelia and I want to marry someone tall, dark, and handsome. And this is no longer like this, you know, she would even rename places in Avonlea. And she was like, this is now the, um, the white way of delight. And this is the lake of shining waters. And she would just go around and just renaming her reality into something different so that she could survive and evolve through it without being harmed. And I took that on as a strategy that story is not just story. Like I always had this sense of like, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be like since very little, but it was in that moment of discovering Anne and moving through these like really dark places with family and religion and Like not really knowing how dark it was at the time because I was a child, but like taking on Anne's sort of methodology for moving through the world. And I started just renaming aspects of my reality and calling up a sort of like wonder. Right. And throughout high school, um, that's what it felt like the work that I was doing with the kids that I was working with was, is like, like it wasn't so much about, for me at the time, getting people to follow Jesus and X, Y, and Z and the evangelism and all the things that I was being taught, but it was about instilling in the space, in the the room, this sense of wonder, right? It is the wonderment of, it doesn't have to stay like this, like how I'm feeling and experiencing reality doesn't have to be this way. I can imagine my way out of this. I can tell a new story about what my life will be, regardless of what any adult is telling me my life is going to be like, because adults have a way of saying, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. Like my mom was like, you're not going to be an artist. You're not going to be an author. These are the cars that artists drive. And they were always like these broke down hoopties. Like it was just, it was like the storying was like being inflicted upon the child, but there is a sort of sovereignty when a child can say, actually, I want to imagine my life as something totally different. And giving that sense of wonderment as a gift to the kids that we were working with who were in really, really critical situations felt felt like oh, this is my life's work. Like, I really, truly thought that I would be doing that forever. And I guess in some sense, I still am. It just looks way different. And so again, through college, I started to wake up to, oh, what I went through was abuse, right? And I started to figure out how do I work with this story without avoiding it? How do I meet myself in my, my experience of critical abandonment, not being able to like actually physically say that I'm worthy without like dry heaving, literally. Like I went through this whole period where I had a, a new mentor, bless him, David Leach. And he was like, he looked at me he's like, you know, that you're worthy of love. Right. And I was like, No, every Sunday I was going to church singing songs about how depraved I was. How could I be worthy of any love, any resource, any right companionship, right relationship, except through like stepping into the wonderment of, oh, the divine maybe like not just loves me as like some kind of like leftover cracked piece of sin after the fact, but like sees me as worthy of love and resource and abundance and care and support. It took a lot of imagination. It took a lot of restoring. It took a lot of recalibrating to step into that inherent inheritance that I feel like had been stolen through abusive dynamics and the stories that I was given as a child. So I could go deeper into there's so like, there's so many little pieces, so many little miracles. There's so many little like pieces of this reality that I feel really like they came through as totems, as protectors, as guides, as, you know, spirit, like, like spirit creatora in my journey to support me and guide me through the dark of, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this and into I can create from this, right? Which is like that reorient that reorienting work that many of us spend many years in therapy doing. I feel like wonder led me to be able to learn how to hold that skill um, and to call upon that potential at will, if you will, if that makes sense. So I'm gonna park it there and see. <laughs> There's probably stuff you want to say too.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I, I read Anna's green, Anna of green Gables as a kid too, but I don't remember it at all. So I'm wondering what got in subliminally because, you know, I'm high as well and love imagination, but the, like that idea of being like having a secret guide, like it was in plain like sight. But there was this subliminal or like deeper message that you were seeing and that your environment yeah. wasn't realizing was getting through. So, like, you found this gem. And I feel like this process of detaching or dissociating from the current reality to imagine something else is like a necessary skill set and also a place where people can get lost, like, just Absolutely. imagining. But to actually weave that into the reality is like, the full integration. Um, and I think, like, the full height of that, like, process really. Um, mm-hmm. And so, there's something so beautiful about holding a vision, like, tending to a fire, like, being in that prayer and then seeing it come to life. Like, the kind of celebration or joy of seeing life reflect our, you know, intentions and prayers and what we've been working toward um, mm-hmm. is rich. Yeah.
1: So, mm. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, like, this is something that I recognize people get lost. And that's why I'm always really careful about sharing this story because, you know, I was met with a sort of like a group of mystics, like, like rebel Christian mythic mystics who didn't go to church, but sort of like held some of the frequency of, of grace and forgiveness. And like, they were they were fully engaged with the supernatural. And we met on Tuesdays, every single Tuesday, and we would pray and prophesy over each other. And, and like, literally, you know how people are like, I'm a channel, or I'm a psychic, or, you know, I do Reiki. I'm like, we were doing that, on Tuesdays, we didn't have all those names for it, but David and a couple of other elders were showing us how to work with and wield the supernatural. I think I was like 19. So this is like over 10 years ago (laughs) and just showing us how to like work with energy and how to wield our supernatural gifts and abilities. And they were my community for years. Like they taught me how to sing prophetically. So not just like sing and make up songs as I'm like leading, you know, worship or whatever, but how to like call forth the deep song that I'm hearing from the divine and sing out over as a healing modality. And I'm like, like, I'm, I'm 30 now. And I'm like, looking around where's, where's the group, right? Like, I'm like, where, where are the people who are doing this? No, like nobody's really doing this I guess we were weird. We were strange people meeting in the church on Tuesdays, but having that gift of having a space where this capacity was seen, witnessed, held without judgment, and was honed and trained and shaped. That is the reason why I survived that. My brother has a very similar palette of gifts, but he did not survive that. My brother is not able to function because of the weight of that gift. So I don't I don't share these things lightly. I'm not one of those people who gets online and I'm like, you're I'm a mystic and you can be a mystic too. I'm like, that is (laughs) that is a great responsibility to be able to interface with the liminal in this way. And it is, it can be dangerous. And and I don't take this lightly. So I'm I'm here for the both and of like, I, I wanna invite people into the power of wonder, the power of imagination, the power of communion with the void. And I also wanna be so careful because I know, and I've touched these like Piscean energies so closely that people can lose themselves, lose their minds, lose all touch with reality. It it is a it is a landscape that that requires guides.
0: Right. Yeah. I literally <laughs> had like a spiritual awakening slash psychosis when I was 21. So after that, I did encounter like real mentors and it and found astrology like at a deeper layer. And that helped me have frameworks that allowed me to digest and hold my mystical life. But before, yeah. you know, so I know like there's real like danger in that space and I feel like that's another Saturn and Pisces wisdom about like what is the like what is the difficult aspect of mystical life and when you were telling me about these rebel Christian mystics something in my heart just like expanded and opened like imagining that group of like just like spiritual mystical sharing like Mm. so beautiful and um I feel kind of like fondness for similar times of doing a lot of trades and barter as like a budding astrologer with all the mystics in town. And just like, I don't have as much space for it now in my day-to-day life as I did then, but it was just kind of like being so fresh and new in the realm of like being a channel and like all day working on that craft with like the support of people and navigating also like receiving mystical advice where, I could filter in like what felt true versus what felt like the person's own filter or projections and not, you know, reject the whole experience, but be able to like be in the sea of like that kind of confusion and truth and all of that intertwining. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like a really beautiful time. And I get the sense, you know, that you're saying, where is that community? And yet you are a facilitator and like bringing people into the magic I even just feel so much in my body when you speak, like I get different like sensations and chills and whatnot. So I'm really grateful Mm. for
1: the field that you carry. Thank you. Thank you. It feels really good to receive that reflection. I'm over here like, who's going to start the group? And Spirit's like, hey, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Um, that might be you, actually. so don't don't get it twisted, right? And so I really appreciate that reflection, further confirmation on the journey for what might exist in the future. Um, but I do, I just I see you, I see you in that. Like anytime anyone's having an experience with the divine, with the liminal, with the spiritual, I have so much compassion, especially even for people who, are vehemently rejecting that space, even though they work with these systems. I see that too, as a part of the whole experience of like meeting our deep, the meeting the what I call the deep world aspect of who we are. And you can get lost. We need people along the journey. We do, we, we need, like there's a sense of like, we need stories and we need proof that we're not going to like completely be demolished in that realm. Right. Um, So there's a lot to say about that, but.
0: Yeah. Well, can we go down the rabbit hole of the deep world?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I'm ready. Yeah. What would you, how would you like to, what door would we like to open here?
0: (laughs) It's interesting because it made me think of the, um, do you work with the Persephone myth?
1: You know what? The Persephone myth has been coming to me again and again and again the past few months. So yes.
0: Yeah. Cause I feel like you said something that like was like, Ooh, I, I want to go toward that. And it reminds me of the narcissus flower that Persephone, you know, she's on the above world with her mother, like in relative innocence. And she sees this flower that enchants her and she goes toward it and like hell opens up and she goes into the underworld and like, has this whole experience of becoming queen and learning how to see in the dark. And it all Mm -hmm. starts with that little moment of fascination. Yes. And yeah, what's coming to mind too, is like, I, I don't, I wasn't raised with a lot of like religious conditioning, like pretty much at all, but the word like temptation came up to me of like, Oh, that like really sparkly flower. And like the kind of conditioning of like, don't go toward it. Um, Because it's bad or it leads to hell, but like, what is that depth drop into the earth or into the deep that is like so fascinating and like the psychological processes or processes in culture that say don't go there? Yet it's literally the portal to like deeper integration with one's internal life and power.
1: Yeah, what I love about what I love about this in this inquiry is the narcissist flower has. I don't know if you've ever smelled a narcissist flower. It's so fragrant. It's so erotic. They're also called sweet Isaacs. And when you walk into a room, it can almost overpower you. If there's a narcissist flower in a pot hanging out nearby, or if they're in the garden and they only bloom for a certain amount of time, very short blooming season. But when they do bloom, it will draw you in. It's unavoidable, right? It is drawing you in. And I love ho- also how narcissist is like sort of a sim- symbol for the self, right? The big S self and, and the mirror for what does it look like? It's, it's like the kind of, um, you know, there's like this little saying about like navel gazing, right? Narcissist really represents that sense of like, I'm I'm looking inward. Uh, or I'm looking in the mirror to make sense of all that is, all that is encompassing me. But then we enter into that door and we're immediately dropped into the deep world. We're dropped into the dark. We're dropped into the mystery. We're dropped into death. And one of my favorite, um, representations of the persephone myth is how she strips all of her clothing she has to completely burn away everything that she was in order to fully enter into the gates of the deep and of course what happens there's a whole like there's a whole story around what happens there her she like learns who she is she gains some sovereignty she becomes queen there's like this entire like drama that occurs but what always strikes me and what's striking me right now in this season is when we enter into the deep world this is a powerful initiation to um, truly understand the self that the self that we have come to the door of the deep world with um, however many times we are here to greet it May often be a self that is dying, that is fading away, and we're in the scent of narcissists in the encompassing of the narcissist flower. We are learning about something new. We are interfacing with the mystery, with the with like just being invoked into another um, realm, another state of being, another state of beauty. We're being taken up into a new beauty, and that is something that, you know, when, when I get to this gate over and over and over again, in my own journey, I have to remember that I'm being taken up into a new beauty and being taken up into a new sensation, but it can often feel like I've been tricked into having to enter into something dark, something void, something messy, something unkempt, something that's causing me to meet my animal nature, to have to turn on the ears and the eyes of my psyche in ways I've never had to do before. And it feels, you feel naked and you're shivering and you're cold and you're in the dark and you're hearing sounds and you're like, what the hell is this? I didn't sign up for this. This is not the reality that I was creating. I want out. But the only way out, the only way out is through, right? And that's something I feel like Saturn in Pisces really offers us is like, yes, you can imagine, you can build, you can develop this whole world around you. You can have your entire life completely shift around you. I have experienced that so many times. There's not really a timeline on it oftentimes. Like sometimes it happens within a day. Sometimes it happens within a week or months or a season. And my reality is shifting around me But what Saturn is offering us here through this like mirror of the dark through the void template is that there is a transformation there's an incubational process that must take place within the spirit, in order for us to be taken up into a new beauty a new level of sovereignty, a new capacity to receive light. And if we look at that from like even a nervous system perspective, what we're being asked to do is grow our capacity to receive more information, more subtle information. And I I love this part. I love this part. When I notice it happening, I'm like, oh, okay. My perception is widening, right? You know, three days ago I couldn't see in the dark. Now I'm seeing more information because I've been walking through the dark these three days. My eyes are adjusting, my body, my body is calming, my temperature is adjusting to this new level of dark. So that when I go out into the world, I'm I'm more sensitive. And that that is. That's also another part of it. That's also part of the initiation. So it's not just that we go through the dark and are raised up to a new beauty, raised up to a wider perception, a softening, an opening. But when we enter back into the world, we have a higher uh, higher range of sensitivity where we're seeing and perceiving more. And that needs to be calibrated so that we can actually exist in the world. So there's an integration process after that, too. That's a part of it. And I think that's so powerful. And something that can be missed when we're just trying to like race out of the dark all the time. It's like, I'm avoiding the dark, I'm avoiding the dark. And it's like, no, no, like the dark is a part of, you know, it's a part of it so that when you're restored back to your innocence after this initiation period, you have more information. You're able to interface with life a little bit differently than you were before. What
0: a transmission of that myth, like really you know because Persephone she has such a resistance phase of where she's at and it's like she's just lost her whole above like surface life and like having to like yeah I didn't ask for this I don't want to be here and slowly like becoming more sensitive and aware and what you're saying too about like returning with extra sensation reminds me of a friend joking a while back about like you know, going to the grocery store when you're in the middle of a spiritual awakening and how hard it is because you're seeing everyone's auras or, you know, everything is so intense and sensational. And yet like there is this process of calibrating, as you're saying, to like refine those into gifts and have like the appropriate like structures or boundaries around it. And something about it with Pisces, I feel like is very flex too, where it's like Mm. learning- you know, you get to make the choice if you want to see people's auras all the time. And like, maybe that's okay. And maybe you adjust to that. Or maybe, you know, I remember having a time where I felt like everyone around me kept trying to tell me their life story. And I was just like, why is this happening? And I, like, I realized (laughs) that I actually at some subtle energetic level had some kind of weird, like signal out of like being available for that and so I just kind of like at a psychic level, like put a close sign on the shop window. I was like, actually, like when I'm moving out in the world and just like going on errands, I don't need to be doing that. Like I want to have yeah. deep conversations with people, but in this kind of time and space and way. Um, yeah. And so I feel like that. You know, the refinement and the sensitivity of not being so overwhelmed by the gifts or so kind of weighed down by them and unable to know how to navigate them, but all those like particular ways of like, how do I live in the world with all of this sight and vision and everything that I've, you know, gained from this deep underworld initiation?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the word gift because I feel like that is so key in this question of how do i move about the world with everything that i've seen and learned and come out of the underworld with and then there's also this like experience that i feel like a lot of initiates have where they are um or we are like, wondering, does anybody see what I'm seeing? Like, can, can anybody, is anybody feeling what I'm feeling? Or where there's, like, this moment of shock where it's, like, oh, like, the, the world isn't ready for radical, regenerative, restorative relating. Man, wow, that's such a shocker, (laughs) like, to my system. It's gonna take me out for a week. But we, like, we have those moments where we realize, we, like, get the shock of, like, whoa, the world isn't like ready for what i'm seeing and i'm not ready to receive the world in what they're bringing because they're not ready to see what i'm seeing right so it's like that both and that happens in that process of like um you know for example one of one of my recent like underworld journeys was like about regenerative relating <laughs> and i like I'm coming out of it and I'm just like, whoa, okay, let me temper and let me recalibrate and let me adjust my expectations and recognize that what I received was a gift in sight for a very specific thing and channel my understanding and my sight through the like manifestation of that gift into the world. The cre- That's where the offering creation comes from. It's not just this like you know, it it never feels right when it's this thing that we just like mind explode into to survive capitalism. But it's like, when we're coming out of the underworld, we have this like this, this this thing that we've been given to sort of like work with and make sense of. And then we receive all of these experiences in relationship to that gift. And then we're being trained and initiated by life itself. If there are no teachers around, life is going to show you how to wield that, how to hold that, how to see that, how to um, be a way shower in that. And I think that that is a powerful way for tempering of like, just being being very real and 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 honest with yourself of like yeah the world isn't seeing what i'm seeing i'm not ready to receive the impact of that how can i like structure the appropriate boundaries energetically around myself that allow me to be flexible in my reality, but not be discouraged from my experience and my gifts, right? Because I'm not wrong. What I see is not wrong. What I long for is not bad. It's just not in the world yet. And so how how do I work with that? Right. And I just get chilled because I'm like, literally like on the other side of a Persephone descent, as you would say, like And I'm just like, Oh, okay. This is what we do with that. Okay. This is how this is. I'm going to write into this. I'm going to pour this into my creative process and see what emerges.
0: Yeah. Wow. That reminds me like that feeling state of living with a dream that you are protecting despite like, and protecting from discouragement just lit me up so much because like right now I've been really in a process of trying to feel like what's the next dream? You know, like I'm I'm living inside of dreams that have manifested from the past. And I remember being like um, 22, 23, I'm living every day with the vision of I'm a number one New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and I, I like didn't really have community yet. And I would make random friends just like going out in the world on walks and whatnot. And I would tell people like my new friends, like, like I'm, it's happening. I'm a number one New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I and love it. And people were kind of jarred sometimes, but usually people were charmed. And mm-hmm. it was interesting, like when people didn't believe me or thought that it was like pompous or something, mm-hmm. I just deflected it. Like I didn't care. And it was such a fun way to live, you know? And I feel like that energy is like real authorship like authorship from that level of vision and Pisces and dream. And I Mm -hmm. feel like what Pisces goes up against, like the bigger, the dream, the deeper, the drop of like, what if it doesn't happen, you know, like the heartbreak of even opening to something, but not having it come true. I think people can defend themselves from that pain by not even giving themselves to the dream in the first place. So when people actually go for the dream, I feel like it's this razor's edge where it's like, you do have to defend and like protect that dream. And it's at the risk of people thinking that you're delusional or whatever, but like, you know, and then life, as you're saying, will teach and adjust, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like I kind of sidelined the number one New York times bestseller part. Like it was heartbreaking because I did write the book. I ended up self-publishing it. And it took me years to self-publish it because I didn't want to admit defeat to that particular dream. But I really had to sit with like, what was the symbol of wanting that? Like, what did I really want and see how it had come true in other ways. And who knows, maybe it'll happen later. I'm starting to dream about book writing more, but I think like it wasn't so terrible in the end to be disillusioned of a dream that I invested so deep in. But all the things that happened in my life because I believed were worth that ride. Um, Of course, it can be more fun when the thing actually comes true. But
1: absolutely, absolutely. I think that what you're describing is such a beautiful example of like, yeah, just like, hmm what happens after and what we can do with it and like also just like being able to look at it from this perspective of it's been so many years since that happened since you or I guess since you had that experience of like doing this that faith in your like vision for yourself and It's been so many years and now you have all of this wisdom that you've gained from it. So I'm sure that in like future from those moments, future moments, when you had to go back into the underworld again, you had, you had a more fortified template for what do I do with the gifts that I have come out of the underworld with, right? Like, how do I hold this You know, how do I move with this? How do I engage with this? What is the wisdom from this experience? It's like, I almost get this image of someone uh, going into the underworld again and again and again. And every time they come out with these like odd objects and they're like, what do I do with this? (laughs) Like, and we sort of have this, we all have this experience where we start to project meaning onto the objects. And it's like, oh, this is what you're for. And I'm sure that what you've learned and what I think a lot of people who've had enough time in the underworld learn is that there's actually an, an invitation, a, like a skill that we learn to listen to the objects, to allow the objects to reveal themselves and their roles in our reality. Um, kind of like one, any number of your favorite mystical shows on Netflix, right? It's like like, what do I do with this set of objects for my hero's journey? Like, like you, you get like a penny and then you get a key and you get a, a chalice. Like, what do you do with that? Oh, well, I'm gonna do this, 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 and this, and this. And it's like, okay, let's see what happens. Let's see like what creatures and monsters and gods you encounter along the journey. They may actually have more information. So when we can learn that skill instead of say, oh man, like what I thought these objects were for, they're like, I don't even, this is just junk. And we throw it in the trash when we're really really young, we just throw the objects away. And then we exit the path, we exit the journey. And And then we're back in the underworld again with the objects. And they were like, oh, this is what they're for. And then it's like, oh, this is not what they're for. And we throw them away. But actually the invitation is like, can we listen? Can we abide a little bit, right? Can we like, have a little bit of an openness, a fluidness, very Piscean fluidness about what these objects that we've picked up are for and move along with like, I don't even know what my hero's journey is. I don't even know if I believe in the hero's journey as an aside. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm like all in on hero's journey, Um, but like, it's a powerful tool. So like for understanding, like, what do we do with our objects when we exit the underworld? How do we move with them? How do we interact with reality through them so yeah i just think it's really interesting and a powerful point again saturn of maturity and maturing into our gifts maturity maturing into our perception and our engagement with reality in these things i'm getting this
0: like download from our conversation around saturn and So I was thinking of this like anchor, like nautical image for Saturn and Pisces, but Saturn being, um, or Pisces being in both realms, like reality and fantasy. And the way that um, you're like anchored in the dream realm and in like vision, And also like in this reality, because you're weaving connections between the two and even to like have these physical concrete objects in the world, but be like, what dream is it for, right? Like is part of that dynamic. Um, And also what you were saying about the Narcissus flower, like I had no idea about that quality of like the actual flower. And that just added like a new code or unlocked something for me around that myth. And it reminds me of your like affinity with flower essences and how like flowers are so even like, I don't know that much about flower essences, but from what I understand, like there's something so subtle, even about the process of how they're put in water, um, and how something so ethereal in some sense could have this really strong effect. Like the times I've experienced flower essences, it's been life-changing, um, Uh And so how like working with the subtle, like flower essences, astrology, ritual, like working with the ethereal actually starts to shape and remap or like alter this physical reality. Um, Yeah, I'm wondering what your thoughts on that are. Mm,
1: Yeah, I love this conversation and this question. I work with flowers, flower essences every single day. So whether it's in a bath or I'm taking them with my water in the morning, and I find that flower essences are also like little gates in and of themselves into conversations that the ethereal, like the etheric realm wants to have with our physical bodies right and how we move with our emotional worlds right most people take flower essences to work with their emotional experience um you know if people are picking up flower essences in the group it's usually like pretty anecdotal of like this is going to help your anxiety and this one's going to help you be less depressed And so it's kind of this like cause and effect thing that most people engage with it, like they kind of engage with it as like an an allopathic medicine, but flower essences are really, I feel, um, gateways into conversations with the devas or the the like sort of lands, the land gods. And when we can see it in that way, what we can do is then begin to have a conversation, for example, with sunflower as a deva and the devas that exist on the sunflower, right? So this gets really mythical really fast. I'm a Saturn and Pisces native, don't shoot me. But I really believe that every single flower, every single plant, every like patch of land has like sort of a spirit and essential nature that longs to be interfaced with, right? And so they have little messages, they have little like stories for us that long to be integrated in the smallest parts of our beings right so that's why flower essences are so subtle is because their medicine gets down into the nooks and the crannies and they start to quite literally re and adjust us on a sim- subliminal level so that like when we're engaging with reality what we notice is like oh man my my chest is a little bit more open here or my spine is a little bit more fortified or I'm not responding to this in the same way that I was before or I'm being more open here because some some flower essences open you up and and like really like kind of attune you to the, the truth of what you're feeling about an experience. So you don't have the option of like going into something, putting on a mask and going like leaving and not feeling what needed to be felt there. Flower essences are here to transmute on the subtle, love and we often feel that first in our emotions so I think that that's like kind of the overlay of what I would, I would want to share about flower essences. And I think that we can get so much more specific, so much deeper This each flower essence. Like, like I said, it's like a gate into a sort of conversation with a realm of gods or devas. And you have an opportunity to engage with the personality or the essence of um, that sort of council through taking the essence so imagine engaging with a council of the council that the council for sunflowers because there's so many kinds of sunflowers right and sunflowers share a very similar all the sunflowers share a very similar energetic imprint but they all are tuned to slightly different frequencies so imagine you're entering into the gate and you walk into the room and you have an entire council of all the different kinds of sunflowers that are there to, to greet you as devas, as gods, as grandmothers, grandfathers to support you in your journey. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, like a, a micro uh, Akashic realm, so to speak. There's so much information to be found there if we're open enough to receive it.
0: That inspires me so much like that takes flower essence like the process of taking them way deeper than yeah just like reading the description and you know like um, and also seems like an Anne of Green Gables moment (laughs) where you go outside (laughs) and you see like a flower bed and it's not just a flower bed it's like a council of devas
1: right absolutely 100 percent 100 percent Yeah, it's so magical
0: living in that type of magic like that. I feel like this is one thing I really like about Pisces and like the full potential of Pisces is living in a magical reality all of the time. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just something that's compartmentalized or happens. Sometimes it is the it infuses everything which does come sometimes with that experience of being taken in the wave and like being kind of intoxicated and not realizing one's in a dream or kind of knowing it, but not knowing how to get out, you know, Mm -hmm. but also like the process of just there being so many different avenues and portals of magic and becoming Mm -hmm. like refined in being able to like choose that. And I feel like with, um, being like a dream creator and a dream weaver, and like working with like subtle, like physical things like flowers or um, an altar, like ritual space, like working with the earth, or like you know, yes. creating patterns and habits, even like they're practical things that we're doing in our lives to match and ally with the dream. Like that's mm. this like weaving process, yeah.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, what I love about this too, is like, you know, you can engage with the magical realm in a, in the same way that you would engage with the physical 3d realm, but the texture is just different. So, and, and I think that that is something for folks who are not so magically inclined, who are maybe like very um, you know, Aquarian or Aquarian people can get real futuristic real fast. And I love that, but like Capricornian people or like earth, earth, like very earth, physical, tactile based people. It can be hard to remember that the physical, the physical 3d realm is a realm. It's, it is a realm. The digital realm is a realm, the magical, or what I like to say, because magical can get a little bit more, uh, like loosey-goosey and the boundaries and what does that mean? But I like to think of it as like the liminal realm, the in-between realms. It's a realm. It is a realm you can enter in, you can engage, you can interface, you can find, there's a language about it, right? And it is interfaceable. And everybody everybody has access to it. We enter into it almost every night if you have access to your dreams um, when you're taking plant medicines, you have access to that realm and just learning how to dance with it, work with it can be a really powerful skill. I feel. Um, yeah. I. The reminder
0: is important that these are realms, right? That makes it less like abstract and out there. And it's like, we're living in multiple realms all the time like even just if we have our daydreams we're already like Mm -hmm. straddling the moment that's happening in reality and also our like where we're going elsewhere um i wanted to ask you too about your recent contemplations on belonging and Mm -hmm. Mm self-belonging
1: yes i'm ready yes
0: (laughs) so i mean i think self-belonging um I'm curious like how you defined that or how you arrived at
1: that concept. Yeah, you know, I've had many phases, many, um, I've gone, moved through many gates when it comes to self belonging. And there've been times in my life where I've taken self belonging to mean, well, F the rest of the world, I belong to myself. Nobody can get in no, and I can't get out. <laughs> um, and it's like this experience of like, yeah, like, you know, nobody's going to get me. So I'm going to get me. I'm going to understand me. And that like sort of like subtly aggressive take on self-belonging that is a reaction to loneliness. So I've been through that. I've been through multiple stages of that gate. Um, no matter how kindly it showed up for me or how kindly I communicated it, I still at the end of the day felt alone and felt um, like I was worth the rejection that I was receiving. This relationship with self-belonging had to has had to go into the underworld, be washed through many times. And it's, Will still continue to my relationship with belonging, will continue to wash through in the underworld. I know because it's a part of my work, it has been for a really long time. So there's still much to learn. But where I'm at right now with self belonging is like I have no self belonging without an understanding of inherent oneness on the planet. So there is no self, like, there is no self belonging without my deep cellular understanding that i am inherently connected to all things else and while yes i have like a physical body that is individuated i have a spirit that is like a ray from the sun it is individuated it has an essence it has a code it has a personality right it has an expression in it of itself it is still a part of all things else. And there is nothing that can take away that inherent belonging. There's no thought, there's no projection, there's no ego story, there's no rejection from others that can take take away my, um, my stake in the oneness of all that is nothing can eradicate my connection to the root ball, so to speak, (laughs) as like a little root tenderling, like I am forever a part of the whole. And so self-belonging comes in as this, like, because we live in a paradigm where we are increasingly more separate We are increasingly more individuated, so individuated that we are hyper individualized and we're shoring up the boundaries around our individuation so much so that we're obstructed from all other lights. Um, and And I think again about narcissists and like, I think again about that flower of like being so zoomed in on our own scent, so... Like magnetized by our own sort of essence that we can't see anyone else. And when I think about that, I'm like, we're about to, we've been going through some underworld shit on that one. I mean, and it's more is coming, but to stay on topic, I'm just like, even now, like so many little threads are just like clicking together. But we're so individuated, so hyper individual that we we fracture others right so we first fracture off ourselves and then in our perception and in our own magic in our own mythos in our own relationship with the mystery and our own limited understanding of our own oneness we fracture others and we tell them you don't belong to the whole You deserve to be abandoned, exiled, rejected, because I deserve to be abandoned, exiled, and rejected. We hold those stories in our subconscious, and then we experience each other through that fractured dynamic that we have with ourselves. So self-belonging is saying, actually... (laughs) I've received a lot of stories about how different I am. And because of that difference, I don't deserve to be a part or belong. But the truth of my nature and my essence is that I don't exist without the other. And when I say the other, I'm not just just talking about humanity. I'm not just talking about other humans, which is true. We have a whole supply chain that keeps this shit going, right? Like this is not happening without an entire, like, Potentially hundreds of thousands of other humans touching my shit first before I get to it. Like, touching my food, touching my, like, this isn't happening without other humans, but that's one dimension. The other dimension is this isn't happening without other beings, other life forms, my food, my air, my water, the ground I stand on. I, there is no way that I am just out here alone on a spaceship in the world even the spaceship is made of materials from the earth there's a surrender there's a humility and when i say the word humility i don't mean like a smallness i mean um word humilis, which means an of the earth that like anchors me here and says oh you know first of all there ain't no way that i could actually be fully exiled because I belong here. And it's claiming that belonging. It's saying, despite what I've learned about who I am and who I should be in the world, I belong to myself and I'm able to claim that self-belonging is because I, I belong to the whole. There's no way that I could ever be exported or exiled from the heart, the spirit of the earth, from the system of the cosmos. I'm here, bitch. You can't, I can't, (laughs) there's nothing that can be done. Right. Um, so that's one, like, that's one level of like the self-belonging piece that really continues to unfold for me. And then there's the others belonging, the belonging, belonging piece, but yeah, just curious how that's landing for you before I proceed.
0: I mean, how that's landing is like a transmission because I I feel the, um, the tendrils and like the earth roots and like this kind of um, just oceanic map and a sense of oneness illustrated through all of those images that then drives home the truth of that statement. Um, because yeah. it can also be said as a statement. and sometimes the statement itself doesn't land fully because, you know, of like oneness or something. It's like, well, yeah, so the that like transmission it landing has me thinking about, like, what it means to actually receive and dial into that frequency and live from that place. Um, yeah. because there's this deep sense of self-worth that I feel in that, and this yes. quality of like, patience, compassion, capacity to navigate mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where, you know, I think that there's so much that happens at like the ego layer, or the personality layer of like rubbing up against other personalities and it causes all this friction and all this turmoil. And mm-hmm. that's not the most rooted place to interact with the ecosystem. Wow. Like there's a lot of defense and a lot of, you know, all this stuff and to really just Like, what would it mean to interface and interact with other beings, all beings from that really deep root of like, inextricably, I belong. Um, Mm -hmm. And that just feels
1: so powerful. Mm. And I'm asking that question all the time, like, even like thinking about Piscean nature is like, I am a drop in the ocean, right? So nobody's sitting at the ocean, picking out... Drops and setting them aside. That's impossible. Like, we can't do that. And so, we either like, we can take a cup from the ocean, we can, like, you know, we can put some of the ocean in a bucket. It's still the ocean. There's no, like, (laughs) you know, we can individuate aspects of the ocean, but the ocean will still be the ocean. It is a one, it's a it's it is a body. We are a body. We are, you know, what I like to say is like, because I, I do deeply honor the individuation of each being. And I think it's actually part of the miracle that we get to experience in being human and being alive and our awareness is like, yes, we are a body, but we're also like a living system. We're very, we're we're nodal creatures, right? And so another part of this and this sort of like what i'm what i'm sort of like calling the subtle nature of belonging because i think i don't feel like very interested in stopping at the conversation around you know like how do i make friends which is like a valuable conversation um or you know how do i get people do what they do, which can also be a part of the belonging conversation. um How do I get people to accept me? You know these like like subtly coercive ways of being with belonging. I feel really interested in that sort of root ball kind of experience of like we're we're a living system. So it actually doesn't. You know, here's the thing: is like and something that I I'm witness. I feel like I'm bearing witness to from my own like. My own little objects that I've pulled out of my most recent underworld excursion is like, I'm bearing witness to the fact that people are like, yeah, we can, you know, we can gracefully part away from each other. And this is an example of like, we can gracefully part, but it doesn't matter how many years you've parted away from someone, they've still impacted you and that impact will continue to bloom in your system over time. Right? And bloom in theirs. So, so there is like, still, there is sort of a nodal bond. It doesn't matter how much cord cutting you do. It doesn't matter how many like magical, whimsical stories we engage in, how many spells we do to get someone out of our system. They're still a part of the imprint, the story, the texturing of how our bodies move and interact with the world forever, as long as we live in these bodies. And if you're like me and you are into like past lives and after lives, them lives too. Guess what, bitch? Y'all coming back together. Y'all going to work that out. And if you don't figure it out that time, you might figure it out in the next life. So like, it's, it's kind of like, can we really get away from our living system? Like the quality of the fact that we are nodal creatures and the impact that we create on each other in the world i think about again on the digital the digital scale the digital realm oh like you can feel you can feel it energetically um if you're listening if you're watching for it the like the very nodal quality of how the internet impacts all of us and when you're sort of in a certain subset of the internet there's sort of like this, like there's a pulsing, there's a heartbeat, there's a rhythm, there's a pulsing quality. There's a, there's a nervous system. There's a collective soma. And when one person is going through an experience, regardless if they share it or not, or if we can name that experience, it's, it's felt in parts of the nervous system. It starts to, and then all of a sudden, everybody on the internet is talking about the same thing. And people are like, did you steal from me? Did you steal from me? Did you steal from me? It's like, no, bitch. (laughs) like I didn't steal from you (laughs) like I've had those moments where like did they steal from me and I'm like no they did not steal from me they don't even know me like listen we're this is you know there's a there's a nodal subtle quality about this that I think is worth looking at wow
0: that lights up so much for me um one, like even the the stealing part really also lights something up for me because um, yeah, those conversations, sometimes it's like people that I don't have any interaction with at all read my newsletters and they're like, I feel like you were writing about me um, and we've Thank never you. talked and it's like all friendly, but then sometimes people are like, were you writing about me? <laughs> and I can like, I can be <laughs> honest I if I too. was inspired by them. But usually the answer is no, but just because we've had some kind of association. And so that conversation can get so nebulous on the internet, but there's a lot more to that. And then also this idea of like a person from our past never leaves our system and how much the idea of cord cutting or getting over someone is sometimes this like really violent attempt to destroy like something that is impossible to destroy and there's this sense of yeah. um it ends up being about relationship like how do I relate to this ongoing impact that this person has because even astrologically mm-hmm. for example relationships the synastry of relationships can be impacted by a transit so sometimes mm-hmm. I track like in my connections with people every Scorpio moon, for example, and like the little storyline that it keeps playing out and there can be bigger, longer acting transits, but I might be experiencing a transit astrologically or otherwise. That's having me remember someone from my past that I'm not in contact with anymore on like the 3d, but that doesn't mean that I can't relate to the material and the soul material that's coming up. And I feel like, sitting with the uncomfortable reality of like, you can't just like throw something in the trash and like have it magically disappear that like, you can't extricate yourself from the influences that you've experienced in the past. Like you can have powerful transformations. You can alchemize like conditioning or damage that has been done, but like the, the, Letting go of the idea that it needs to just be over and done and evaporated and totally forgotten, I think is like a deeper initiation into actual like relationship and imagining like
1: what relationship looks like through time. I totally agree. I told, these are things that I've been sitting with a lot recently because again, this like recent underworld drag that I went through. Because that's what it felt like. It was not cute. It wasn't. It wasn't like the Instagram goddess photos of Lilith in the dark. You know what I mean? It was like, no, I'm I'm dragging I know, on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm splayed out of my bathtub, like trying to stay alive. Okay, and like coming out of this with like this invitation into really seeing this and to not compromise my sight, which is a huge thing, because especially with relationships man, relationship Instagram is all over my feed and I'm really fucking sick of it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. I'm so sorry. You can, yeah. you can, you can blank me out. I'm going to be careful, but I'm 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 tired of it. Like, like if I see another, like sometimes if I'm like, if I see another, like a, a relationship Instagram that's giving some really shallow advice on how to discard more people, I'm just going to mute them because that's really all I can do. <laughs> All I can do is just like mute, but it's like there, like what I'm learning and what I'm seeing is like, especially from as I'm being oriented and invited and initiated into this like more kinship worldview, this more, this interrelatedness, this kind of perspective on regenerative relationships that are about like a whole systems approach to seeing dynamics at play. I'm seeing that there's no possible way to fully discard someone. Like I, I used to be like, and I think I still am such a huge um, like purveyor of cord cutting magic. I think it's really powerful and useful to some degree, but it's one of those things you really have to know how to wield and why you're doing it. Right. Because I almost think of it as like appropriate cord cutting is actually pruning it's, it's a pruning of the relationship. It's the pruning of the dynamic in between you and another person. And when you're really engaging with court cutting from um, like a loving standpoint, it's not about discarding people and throwing them away and having the universe like blast them out of our conscious imagination forever, but it's about learning how to forgive and to drop into grace. This is how I learned it from one of my teachers, Mary Hasna is like, this is not about throwing people away best belief, because if that's the energy they're going to keep coming back and you're going to be pulling weeds for the rest of your life. Right. And so this is really about like sort of pruning the energetic cords, and really, ass- like discerning what wants to be here, what is useful to the dynamic to the bond, and what is no longer useful to us. And it's a conversation that you're having with another person's energy. It's sending them off in love. It's learning forgiveness magic. It's learning um, grace. It's learning atonement, and and it's really allowing those those aspects to take place in a relationship in a dynamic. Right, because what happens when we just like completely reject folks out of the wazoo? They're gonna come back in some other form or as themselves, and we're gonna have it's to like face- the Hydra, where you like cut oh. off the head and it grows a new one. It grows a new one, and we're like, and what we're looking at is no longer just this person, but an imprint of our own reflection playing itself out in our environment, in the universe, in our relational world. And it won't go away until we meet it. So we have so many options where if we want to live our lives from this perspective of like liberation and fullness and radical inherent belonging, like what we were talking about, where we feel allowed and full and free to exist in our essence. Well, then we can't go around cutting off the heads of the people and the mirrors who show up in our lives who are showing us a little piece or a fragment or a shard of ourselves that longs to be loved, longs to be witnessed, longs to be integrated, longs to be held, right? It doesn't mean that we need to be best friends with everybody who shows up or that we need to stay with certain lovers or interactions or relationships forever. But you best believe my stepfather, who is one of the greatest abusers in my life continues to show up in some way or another. And until I allow myself to witness, and this is like a heavy truth I think, I try to be careful with because I never wanna tell people what to do with abusive dynamics or relationships. Um, And I I never wanna prescribe or say, this is why this abusive dynamic showed up in your life. I just know that for me, Every, every opportunity that I've had to face my stepfather, even though the last time I talked to him was a month before I snuck away to go to school, I've had many opportunities to engage with his spirit. He's come to me in my dreams. He's come to me in partners. He's come to me in certain dynamics. And so I can, I can either allow myself to enter into those moments and address what's showing up meeting the parts of me that are showing up that feel like they need to hide that feel like they were worth the abuse that I received or I can stuff it away and cut off heads and continue to like make that my full-time job like it's kind of like you're making healing your full-time job when you're doing that right so (laughs) that was a bigger thought but I like yeah, I just feel like this sense of belonging is is very deeply tied to how we treat other people um how we see them, like if we're seeing them from this like fractured state where we fracture ourselves so we fracture other people, we cut off heads, cut cutting off the heads of the hydrant in our lives, shutting people out, calling that boundaries. I I think that there's like, I think there's more nuance to, to hold and to witness and to be with and sort through if that's the reality that we're signing up for.
0: Definitely. I feel the truth and medicine in your words, and I can relate to having experiences of like, what am I facing off with at a deep soul level? And how it, I can't just address that superficially or else I'm going to have to keep addressing it. But when those mirrors show up, what is the deeper thing? And actually addressing awesome. it from that root has so much more power and transformation and um, downloads and insights that come through. Um, mm-hmm. You are such a transmission. I feel like what you share um, is really mm-hmm. an invitation into an expanded perception. Like I kept getting the images of just like tendrils and roots and also like the way that reaches up to the, um, like the internet airwaves and like the lightning and all these different, um, like tendrils of connection and that like existing in that space of seeing all of these interconnections, um, creates a complexity that helps us like evolve basically like there's there's so much nuance there's like um a pulsation and an aliveness Mm -hmm. and like a way of being like carried into the adventure of the living story um so thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing your magic with us and how can people find you and connect with you and work with you
1: yeah. Yeah. You can just find me over at the story doula on Instagram and, um, the StoryDoula.co is my website, which has information on how we can sit in a room together and, and talk about story and talk about how we can reclaim our power and our sense of belonging in the world. Um, so those are the two places. Feel free to send me a DM, um, or an email. I'll be checking that. and. Yeah, I love having these kinds of conversations and I'm so thankful that you invited me um, into, into this. This is like probably been one of my favorite podcasts that I've recorded in quite some time. So I'm I'm just really appreciating it. Thank oh, you.
0: Same. I feel so energized and enlivened and inspired. Thank you so much.
1: Good, good. I'm so glad.